today we are beginning a new series that we have titled Sacred Spaces. We will spend the next five weeks looking at prayer and how it connects us to God and to one another. Each week we'll look at a great prayer that is found in scripture and a modern prayer that reflects the same themes. Learning from those who have gone before, speaking the words of those who have prayed long before we ever have. If I'm honest for a minute, I have to confess that I am not very good at prayer. I can hear your gasp from here audible. <laughs> After all, pastors are supposed to be prayer experts only, following only reading our Bibles and reading meetings. But prayer for me has always felt like a struggle. The truth is, I'm not a very contemplative person. If you spent any time with me, you probably recognize that. Lexio Divina is perhaps the most painful torture you can imagine to ask me to participate in. And prayers to stretch you out a minute or two leave me antsy and fidgety. And it has always left me feeling a little bit like a failure. It has made me feel like I need to work harder. If I could just make myself pray more, I could finally get better at it. Be a better pastor, be a better Christian. The problem I run into is that the more I try to force myself into it, the more I try to mold myself into the image of what I think prayer should look like, the worse it gets. The more antsy I get, the more stress I get, the further from God I feel. And this is problematic for a ton of reasons, but the biggest perhaps is that at its most basic intent, prayer is supposed to be about connection. About us connecting with God and connecting with ourselves. Connection is vital to who we are. It is fundamental to what makes us human from the very moment of creation. It was God's intent that we be connected with him and with others and with ourselves. It was only when sin entered that disconnection arrived. How then does prayer help us find that lost connection? In our text today we come upon a man named Jonah. A man in a very precarious position and a man who's been disconnected from everything that he knows and everyone that he loves. Jonah was minding his own business one day when God spoke to him and told him to go and preach to the Nevites. And in response to this command, Jonah fled the other direction. He got on a ship, trying to get as far away as he could, trying to escape the command that God had spoken to him, he sought to hide from God's presence to disconnect from his God. And as Jonah sails out to sea, a large storm is created by God. And to save the ship, the sailors draw lots and try to figure out who is to blame for the storm. And it becomes clear that it is Jonah. 
So in order to save everyone's lives, he is thrown overboard into the water. And he's swallowed by a large fish. And there he sits for three days and three nights. It is there in that dark and barren and hopeless place that Jonah begins to pray. I've always wondered what that prayer would have really sounded like. Calm or desperate. Quiet or shouting. Resigned or quaking with fear. Here is what they don't tell you about prayer very often. It is not clean or tidy. And it is certainly not safe. It strips us down, it lays us bare before ourselves and God. Because real connection can only exist where vulnerability is found. And we don't want to be vulnerable. I have a feeling if I asked you to raise your hands that if we were honest, most people in this room would admit that they see vulnerability not as a strength, but a weakness. We want to be strong, to be in control, to be safe. And prayer is none of those things. It is wild and overwhelming and dangerous. Because connecting to the living God, recognizing his presence and his power in your life is not for the faint of heart. Jonah sits in that fish and is forced to recognize just how helpless he is, just how broken and lost, how immensely vulnerable he has become. He is not in control of his own life. He has disobeyed a direct order from God. He has gone his own way and tried to control his own future. He deserves death. And yet, in his prayer, Jonah is finally able to make the connection between himself and God. His prayer flows forth a recognition both of his own desperation and of God's goodness. This is what prayer does. It's not simply a way to get a better house or a better spouse. It's not simply a way to list out the things we want or hope for. Jonah has to look in the mirror and has to live with what he sees. The truth of who he is in his own life, one who deserves to die. And this is why prayer, why vulnerability is so very hard. Because it makes us face all the things inside of us that we would rather push away into the furthest corners, that we would rather numb and never have to engage. Brene Brown is a researcher and a social worker who has done incredible research on connection and vulnerability. She has a famous TED Talk that you might have seen where she talks about the research she did on what it takes for a human being to feel connected. And she was shocked when she discovered that through years and thousands of 
interviews and studies, the thing that stops us from feeling connected the most is shame. In her talk, Renee says, shame is really easily understood as the fear of disconnection. Is there something about me that if other people knew, that if other people saw it, that I wouldn't be worthy of connection? She goes on to say, the things I can tell you about shame are this, it's universal. We all have it. The only people who don't experience shame in this world have no capacity for human empathy or connection. No one wants to talk about it. And the less you talk about it, the more you have it. And what underpins shame is this. I'm not good enough. We all know that feeling. I'm not blank enough. I'm not thin enough, rich enough, beautiful enough, smart enough, promoted enough, strong enough. The irony is that because we fear disconnection so deeply, we end up never really allowing ourselves to connect. And this is why I think prayer can be so hard or feel so shallow for so many of us. Because too many of us let our shame dictate our prayers. Rather than letting prayer shed light on the broken pieces of our life, we instead turn it into a stifled, a tamed thing that we can control. So that God can only see the parts of us that we want him to. But it is only when Jonah finally makes himself vulnerable and he has exhausted his endurance and every other option he remembers the goodness of God. And he cries out and is saved from the shame and the desperation that had led him to the very brink of death. How many of us get to that point? How many of us exhaust ourselves when we go to the end of our options before we are willing to be vulnerable with God and with ourselves? We, too, will run from God to escape his loving and gracious nature if it means we have to open ourselves up fully for his inspection. And because of this, our prayers become tiny, and they're made silent. Each week on Sunday morning, we have people who stand in the front of this sanctuary and they offer to pray with those in need. In many weeks, they leave here having spoken to no one. Because rarely do we offer up anymore the real, gritty, desperate prayers of our hearts. The ones for marriages that have been ripped to shreds, for depression that is so overwhelming we can't get out of bed, or anger that has overtaken our lives and made us hard. Our shame silences our voice in fear that if, that if the people sitting next to us knew that they might find us, might find out that we're not perfect or even okay, we end up fearing to trust one another just as we fear trusting God, thinking that if people knew they would reject us, and so our prayers get smaller and 
quieter, less real. And yet there are people who seem to move beyond this. We all know people who seem to be able to walk a life of such vulnerability and authenticity, whose prayers are so vibrant and powerful that they make an impact on everyone they meet. They live from their whole heart. Brene goes on to say in her talk later on that this is what she found, that people who can live like that, people who've moved into that space, they have a common sense of courage. And here's where I want to separate courage and bravery from it. Because courage, the original definition of courage when it first came to the English language, came from the Latin word core, it meaning heart. And the original definition was to tell the story of who you are with your whole heart. These folks, these ones that seem to go so far beyond what so many of us feel like we can do, they simply have the courage to be imperfect. They have the ability to have compassion for themselves, to be kind to themselves first and then to others because as it turns out, we can't practice compassion and vulnerability with other people if we can't treat ourselves the same. They have connection as a result of their authenticity. That is that they were willing and are willing to let go of who they think they should be in order to be who they are. In the fifth century, a young man by the name of Patrick was kidnapped by Irish pirates. And he was taken into slavery. And he was kept in captivity for six years. And during that time, he converted to Christianity. And after six years had gone by, he heard the voice of God telling him, your time for freedom has arrived. And Patrick escaped and got on a ship and went back to Britain where he was from. And he continued to study Christianity some of the foremost schools across Britain and Europe. And then years later, he once again heard the voice of God, calling him to return to the land of his captivity and his slavery and to bring God's good news with him. The difference between St. Patrick and Jonah is clear. Both received a message from God to go to a place they had every right to hate and fear. Lydia had brutalized Israel as an ancient enemy of Jonah's people. And we would find out in chapters 3 and 4 of Jonah if we kept reading that what he was fleeing from was God's command to preach repentance because he didn't want his enemies to have the chance to be redeemed and to be saved. Jonah couldn't wrap his mind around his own worthiness to be saved, let alone theirs. So rather than connecting with God and God's nature, Jonah chose to disconnect. 
On the other hand, St. Patrick, upon hearing the same command, chooses to be courageous. He chooses to not live in fear and shame, to return to Ireland to bring the gospel, to spread the good news, to find himself in God instead of run away from God. In one of his most famous prayers, we hear the voice of St. Patrick when he says, Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me. Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ where I lie, Christ where I sit, Christ where I rise. Christ in the heart of everyone who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks to me, Christ in every eye that sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me, salvation is of the Lord, salvation is of the Christ. May your salvation, Lord, be ever with us. This is the height of what prayer can do. Connect us so deeply and strongly to God that he is all we see and all we know and all we are. He is in us and with us and by us and all around us. But in order to invite that kind of connection, we must expose ourselves to God in the most vulnerable ways possible. We have to plant our feet and say, here I am, Lord, this is me. And the truth is, I am not good enough. I'll never be good enough. And yet I am worthy. Worthy of your love because you have deemed it so. We have to face our shame. And let, let it not stop us from connecting to God. And it is then and only then that prayer begins to mean something. That prayer becomes not just a list of needs and wants and thanks that we rattle off before bed or before a meal. Or a hashtag that we put on Facebook in the wake of the latest mass shooting or natural disaster. It is then that prayer becomes life-changing, mind-changing, spirit-changing, that prayer can change people and change countries and change the world. I spent a lot of time in my life trying to make myself a better prayer. Wrestling with the shame that I felt at struggling with something that seemed like such an essential and easy Christian practice. And then one day I heard a story by Brother Manning. Manning was speaking of his own struggle with prayer and talking about the day he had his breakthrough. And he realized that for him, prayer was not, not as rigid as he had been taught, but he, God wasn't sitting there comparing his prayers to a checklist of perfection. Manning said he wrote that he discovered a father is delighted when his little one leaves off her toys and her friends and runs to him to climb in his arms. And as he holds his daughter close to him, he cares little whether the child
looking around, her attention fleeing from one thing to another, or just settling down to sleep. Essentially, the child is choosing to be with her father, confident of the love and the care and the security that is hers in those arms. And our prayers are much like that. He says, our minds and our thoughts and our imaginations may flit about from here to there, and we might even fall asleep. But essentially, we are choosing the time to remain intimately connected with our Father, giving ourselves to Him, receiving His love and care, letting Him enjoy us as He will. It is very simple, this prayer. It is one that opens our hearts to the delights of the kingdom. Where shame would close us off, prayer opens our hearts to the delights of God. I'm still not great at prayer. Or at least I should say I'm still not great at vulnerability. But I am learning. I am learning how to let go of who I think I should be in order to be who I am. Even if that means I am a fidgety and impatient prayer. And I'm learning to let prayer shape me, make me face the very worst parts of myself, the ones that are racist and sexist and selfish and arrogant, so that shame can no longer silence my voice, so that I can be healed and be free. That is what I hope for you, that you have prayer that changes your life. That you could be courageous and wholeheartedly committed to a vulnerability. And so, when you feel that fear start to rise, when you want to seek the shelter of disconnection, when you want to numb the pain, Remember this. Christ is with you. Christ is before you and Christ is behind you. Christ is in you and Christ is beneath you and Christ is above you. Christ is on your right and on your left. Christ is where you lie. Christ is where you sit. Christ is where you arise. Christ is in the heart of everyone who stays with you. Christ is in the mouth of everyone who speaks to you. Christ is in every eye that sees you. Christ is in every eye that hears you. Your salvation is in God. Your salvation is in Christ. <laughs>